0: or connecting with people through Life Groups and Pocket Churches. To learn how to get connected and find your pocket, please go to LifeChurchGreenBay.com. Again, so glad you're here with us today. Here's this week's message. Hey friends, I'm so glad you're joining us today. Wherever you're watching or listening from, know that you are loved and cherished by all of us here at Life Church, and even more so, by our Father in Heaven. Turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 14, verse 27, where smack dab in the middle of our teaching series, Smile Again. Our friend, Pastor Sean, has given wonderful messages on joy and the value of life. Pastor Sonny taught so brilliantly on forgiveness. It's been such a great series to work through as we come out of winter and hopefully emerge a little from the COVID pandemic. It's been little more than a year since the world shut down to try to contain the spread of the coronavirus. That year has been long on frustration, fatigue, fractures, and for many of us, fear. I spent a lot of time in fear as a child. I suspect because I've always been both imaginative and anxious. Fear was an easy place for me to land. One of the earliest memories I have was lying in bed and hearing this, this like slow, methodical footsteps coming towards me, like this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and I was certain someone was sneaking up on me. Turns out that my ear was folded over and pressed against my pillow, so I was I was just frightened of my own heartbeat. <laughs> but I was afraid of most every kind of scary thing. Haunted houses, the witch in the Wizard of Oz, the child catcher in Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, the dark. I don't know that I was afraid of the boogeyman, per se, but a boogeyman best describes what I was sure that was hiding in my closet or under my bed or outside my window. If you would ask me what I was afraid of, I would never be able to tell you. It was beyond my words. It was beyond my description. It was beyond my comprehension. I was afraid of what I didn't know and I couldn't get past it. I'd like to talk more about that in a message we're calling Overcoming Fear. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you uh, for everything that you are and every way that you love us. Lord, I pray for my friends that are watching that that they're aware in this moment of, of that love, that they're aware of your presence, that they're aware of the relationship and the friendship that you have with them, Lord. As we dig deeper into this idea of fear, Lord, I, I pray, Lord, that you help us to identify the things that we're fearful of so that we can dismantle them, that we can take them apart and see that that there's nothing there that you can't overcome, that you are not bigger than, that you are not stronger than, Lord God that we can overcome fear in our relationship with you. We ask these things in your name, amen. Fear isn't a weakness. It's, it's actually programmed into us by our creator. Fear comes as naturally to us as any other emotion, love, grief, envy, anger, and fear. Those are our five natural emotions. Our brain, and by extension, our bodies, are made to assess our situations and circumstances and react with the appropriate amount of emotion and physical response. Science goes a long way to explain why our minds and bodies react the way they do, the way that our magnificent God has created us. All of those five emotions are normal for us, and when kept in check or in moderation can be beneficial to us. It's only when one of them escalates beyond our control or when we fixate on them for too long that they become problematic. So there are healthy fears and unhealthy fears. A report from the Northwestern Medicine explains fear like this. Fear is experienced in your mind, but it triggers a strong physical reaction in your body. As soon as you recognize fear, your amygdala, a small organ in the middle of your brain, goes to work. It alerts your nervous system, which sets your body's fear response into motion. Stress hormones like cortisol and adrenaline are released. Your blood pressure and heart rate increase. You start breathing faster. Even your blood flow changes. Blood actually flows away from your heart into your limbs, making it easier for you to start throwing punches or run for your life. Your body is preparing for fight or flight. But as some parts of your brain are revving up, others are shutting down. When the amygdala senses fear, the cerebral cortex, the area of your brain that harnesses reasoning and judgment, it becomes impaired. So now it's difficult for you to make good decisions or to think clearly. Fear of bears or sharks or saber-toothed tigers makes total sense. Especially in the context of the woods or the ocean or the prehistoric past. And not only do fears like that make sense, they're healthy and conducive to our survival. But there are other fears that have very little to do with our survival, and they make even less sense and are, in fact, unhealthy. They have nothing to do with the biological, amygdala-based stimulus response fear that we experience when we see a snake or a spider. But instead, we can sometimes apply the same degree of fear Towards the decisions that we make, or the actions that we take, or what the future might hold, where we live, who we live with, what we do for a living, who our friends are, how big our house is, our salary, or our family is. And because the purpose of natural fear is to signal a threat, we'll avoid and evade anything that makes us uncomfortable. These are unhealthy fears. Here's my top 12 unhealthy or unreasonable fears that may be keeping you from living a full and joy-filled life. I got a little help from psychology today. Number one, fear of failure, fear of success. Number three, fear of public speaking, fear of rejection, fear of making the wrong decision, fear of other people's opinions, fear of responsibility, fear of saying the wrong thing, fear of being exposed as an imposter, fear of commitment, fear of challenge, fear of missing out. Now, maybe someday we'll do a whole series on these fears and why they're detrimental and how we can beat them, but for the sake of this message, maybe just consider which on this list are fears that you might be experiencing on a regular basis. You'll notice that each one of them isn't a fear of an actual or real threat. It's a fear of not knowing the entire story and or not being assured of an outcome. Lions, tigers, and bears, yep, totally get that. Fear of an actual threat. Prehistoric us faced these sorts of fears all the time. The emotion of fear triggered a physical response. We dealt with the situation and walked away, hopefully. But this other list, guys, how how does one even vanquish the fear of commitment like one would a crocodile or an invading army? You can't. So you sit in it. You ruminate in it. You spin tales in your mind around it. You obsess about it. We worry ourselves sick. We fear ourselves sick. Here's what Dr. Christiane Northrup says. Fear can interrupt processes in your brain that allow you to regulate emotions. Fear can lead to chronic health problems. Living in a constant state of fear can cause gastrointestinal issues, including ulcers and irritable bowel syndrome. It can increase your risk of cardiovascular damage. Friends sustained fears, unhealthy or unfounded or unreasonable fears, they're killing us. And I propose that those fears are killing our faith and our witness in the meanwhile. If we're living in fear, we limit our exposure to new relationships, environments, and experiences. If we're living in fear, we give Satan blank pages of our psyches for him to write his stupid lies on if we're living in fear, we're surrendering to doubt instead of living in hope. If we're living in fear, we're confessing that God isn't everything that he says he is. Guys, that's a, that's a serious problem. There's kind of a famous meme that circulates every now and again around Facebook and other social media. It says, do not be afraid, is written in the Bible 365 times. That's a daily reminder from God to live every day being fearless. Even Toby Mack posted that one on his page. It's cute, sure, but not hardly true. It all depends on which translation you're reading and if you mean specifically do not be afraid or fear not or just fear for that matter. It turns out that fear not is written in the King James Version 71 times, 55 times in the Old Testament, 16 times in the New Testament. Fear is mentioned in the King James Version 501 times, 387 in the Old Testament, 114 in the New Testament. Afraid? 189 times in the King James Version. So while the meme isn't necessarily true, the idea of fear and us not bending to it is a popular topic in the Bible. As you'd expect, there's much written about fear and worry in the Psalms and in the work of the prophets. And every time, of course, God is identified as the one on whom we can cast our burdens of worry and fear. Even Jesus, who we've recently learned from our friend Rabbi Matt Rosenberg, that he never said anything new, he spoke a lot about fear and not fearing quite a bit a large section of his incomparable Sermon on the Mount was given to the idea that we should not fear or worry over the things of this earth. It's a it's a beautiful teaching where you could drop any one of those 12 unhealthy fears into the equation in place of, what will we eat or what will we wear? Like, Look at the birds of the air. They do not practice or rehearse or create PowerPoints, and yet your Heavenly Father gives them a beautiful song they share with the public. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by fearing, add a single hour to your life or an extra sale to your commission check? That's not really in the Bible. I just made that up. In the Gospel of John, chapter 14, and verse 7, Jesus is having a conversation with his disciples as they observe Passover in the upper room the night before Christ is arrested. He knows what's about to go down in the coming hours, so he's giving them some instructions before he dies. They're a little slow on the uptake, however, so they're not exactly picking up everything he's laying down. But in the middle of that conversation, he says this, I leave the gift of peace with you, my peace, not the kind of fragile peace given by the world, but my perfect peace. Don't yield to fear or be troubled in your hearts. Instead, be courageous. As I was preparing for this talk, I I considered pointing out that to my mind, the opposite of fear was courage. but was in fact knowledge. That if I'd known for a fact that there wasn't anything in my closet or under my bed or outside my window, if I had the knowledge that it was empty, then my fears would have dissipated. But this verse, these red letters from Jesus, they tell me that in order to be courageous, I must first know peace, his peace, his unbreakable, indestructible, undefeated peace. Now, I don't know how that would have played out for 10-year-old Scott peace, but I know that I wish 25-year-old Scott knew that piece when he was afraid of other people's opinions. I wish that 35-year-old Scott knew that piece when he was afraid of being found out as an imposter. I wish that 45-year-old Scott knew that peace when he was afraid of being rejected. How much did I miss out over three decades because I was afraid of irrational things? I was afraid of Earth's fragile things. How afraid would I really have been if I truly known and bought into the deliverance, rescue, salvation, safety, and welfare that Jesus offered? Psalm 27, a song of David, is written under circumstances where David is clearly up against it. He's hiding from his enemies who are fierce. He says they are waiting to devour his flesh. And many, he says, an army stands against him. And in it for the long haul, he says that a war is breaking out against him. In the face of all this, David comes out confident. Listen to what he says. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom should I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Whom should I dread? I love the word pictures here. David's not claiming that the Lord can shed some light or reflect some light into his circumstances. He's saying that the Lord is his light, his only source of light, the only source of light required. The Lord is every bit of light that David needs. Then he claims that God is his salvation. The Hebrew word here is yesha, which means deliverance, rescue, salvation, safety, and or welfare. (laughs) That's a lot for such a little word. But then David again says it in a slightly different way. Hebrew writers and teachers would often repeat something, not because they were absent-minded, but because they wanted to hammer the idea home. So first David calls the Lord his yesha. Then he circles back around and refers to him as his maos which means a place of safety and protection. I love this, you guys. Not just our protector, but the protection. Not just our strength, but the stronghold. That's comprehensive and intensive right there, you guys. He's the light that shines into every corner of our lives. There's no place for boogeymen or fears to hide. And in the off chance that a legitimate threat does exist, God is big enough powerful enough, plentiful enough, and strong enough for us to seek shelter in. Whom shall we fear? What shall we fear? Our boss, our friends, our workmates, our clients? Should we fear failing, succeeding, rejection, commitment, should we fear missing out? David says he's not afraid of an army of flesh-eating enemies laying siege outside his gates because of who God is and who he is in God. Why are we afraid of disappointing people that we don't even respect? Why are we concerned with the opinions of people we would never ask advice from? That's what makes these fragile, earthly, fleeting threats so unreasonable, unfounded, and irrational. So let me give you four ways to overcome your fears. Number one, name your fears. My wife and I have had a few shows that we've watched together through the years. For the most part, we've kinda of had different tastes. She's a friends person, I'm a Seinfeld. She liked the Gilmore Girls, I liked anything else. But sometimes there's a program uh, we both adore. Like partner, uh, Parenthood was one, Lost was one, and recently, This Is Us. The writing, the directing, the acting, are always so true to life and relatable. Anyway, in one of these early seasons, it was revealed that something that the the big three would do, Kate, Kevin, and Randall, or Maybe it was like Randall and his wife, Beth. Anyway, they'd play the worst case scenario game. When faced with a crisis or dilemma or decision, they'd explore the worst case scenario of every option. I feel like naming your fears is a step in that direction. I find it to be constructive and cathartic to identify my feelings, when I feel them, what is happening when I feel them, and how my feelings make me feel. After two times through Journey to Wholeness, I'm getting pretty good at this sort of thing. Naming our fears is much the same thing. Pull your fears out of a shroud of mystery and murkiness, shine a light on them, and give them a name. Our fears are much easier to deal with, you guys, when we, when we know more about them and what they're made of. Otherwise, we're just swinging, or worse, cringing in the dark. Whatever name we affix to our fears, none of them are greater than God's love for us. Here's what it says in Romans 8, 38, and 39 in the message. None of this phases us because Jesus loves us. I'm absolutely convinced that nothing, nothing living or dead, angelic or demonic, today or tomorrow, high or low, thinkable or unthinkable, absolutely nothing can get between us and God's love because of the way that Jesus, our master, has embraced us. In addition to naming our fears, number two is we should explore the origin of our fears and why we're afraid. What happened to create that fear in us? When we get scared, those of us who can successfully overcome our fears realize that fear is not so much what scares you, but why it scares you. According, again, to psychology today, there are three main reasons something scares us. One we've talked about, biology. You were designed to be scared. There are a number of things that we are genetically predisposed to be afraid of, lions and tigers and bears, for example. Then there's the past. It, or something very similar, scared you a lot in the past. Fear can be learned and conditioned. If you've been in a bad car accident, maybe you become afraid of driving. If you've nearly drowned, maybe you're afraid of bodies of water. Lastly is forecasting. You worry about the future. Fear emerges when you expect or what you expect or imagine that your predicament or your actions could have serious and harmful consequences for your life, your health, your freedom, your relationships, your self-esteem. It's that last piece, forecasting, where the 12 unhealthy fears we mentioned all fall under. To my mind, forecasting is anticipating. Anticipating is estimating. Estimating is imagining. Imagining is a wild card. If there's an empty page before us in our lives and in our relationships and in our circumstances or our plans, we're going to fill those blanks with our own narrative. Much of it will be informed by our past experiences, which may be how things played out last week or maybe the boogeyman from our six-year-old past. It's a spirit within us that determines how we forecast. If we have a spirit of hope, those blank pages have a different color palette than if we have a spirit of fear. In a letter St. Paul wrote to his friend Timothy, he says, God did not give us a spirit that makes us afraid. He gave us a spirit of power and of love and of self-control. Paul writes this to his young friend and disciple as he's as Paul's asking him to leave his assignment in Ephesus and come visit Paul in Rome. Timothy, though, is under pressure to forsake Paul because many of his contemporaries have decided that Paul must be bad news if he's imprisoned and on trial so often. Timothy risks looking bad amongst his peers if he goes to see Paul. So many of our situations, or predicaments, are out of our control. What people think, what people do. And if they're out of our control, they shouldn't be on our radar. We're about our Father's business, not our world's business. We should never be known as fools or liars or swindlers or evil, sure, but we should never be consumed or concerned by what the world thinks of us, only what God the Father thinks of us. Live according to his heart and you'll never run astray. Number three, build knowledge and confidence. If we regard God as our light and our salvation, as David did, use that light to build knowledge, use that strength to build confidence. So many of the unhealthy fears come from a place of ignorance and doubt. Let's look at that list real quick again. Fear of failure, success, public speaking, rejection, making the wrong decision, other people's opinions, responsibility, saying the wrong thing, fear of being exposed as an imposter, fear of commitment, fear of challenge, fear of missing out. With God's light, the one that David sings about in his psalm, we can see the world for what it is and for what it's worth. As eternal as God is, this world is just as temporal. I believe we should rest on the promises of hope that God has given us and not on the opinions of others. Here's more from that Sermon on the Mount that Jesus delivered. Don't store up treasures on earth. Moths and rust can destroy them and thieves can break in and steal them. Instead, store up your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy them. Thieves cannot break in and steal them. Your heart will always be where your treasure is. Only people who don't know God are always worrying about such things. Your Father in heaven knows you need all of these things. But more than anything else, put God's work first, do what he wants, then all these other things will be yours as well. Number four, ask for help. Fear is an inherently unpleasant feeling that causes physical discomfort, emotional distress, and mental turmoil. And when a person doesn't deal with fear properly or without the right help, it can become pathological. According to the National Institute of Mental Health, almost one of five adults will suffer from an anxiety disorder in any given year. One out of every five of us. And know that there's a difference between fear and phobia. There are over 100 phobias, disorders which manifest in a persistent and irrational fear of objects or situations. Fearless people know when to seek help. When a worry becomes excessive and anxiety interferes with daily life, it's time to consult a professional. But I also want to encourage you to find help in this community. Scripture couldn't be more clear that a critical function of our churches, our faith communities, is to be a resource for one another. This kind of help functions on a peer-to-peer level. We don't always need someone with a medical or a theological degree. Sometimes the best help and wisdom comes from people who've gone through it themselves. Let me share just a few passages. In Hebrews, it says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. In Galatians, it says, carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. In Proverbs, it says a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for a time of adversity. Surround yourselves with people who know you and love you and love Jesus. That's your tribe, friends. That's your pocket, your squad, your posse. Does anyone say posse? Anyway, those are your people. We couldn't possibly do this life or this faith on our own. Lean on your tribe. And in the words of my friend Woody, if you don't have one, get one. Healthy and unhealthy fear Natural and unnatural fear, rational and irrational fear. You guys, there's nothing wrong with healthy fear. It keeps us aware of our surroundings and keen to our circumstances. God built us with fear to protect us from the physical threats of this world. But in the absence, for most of us, of lions and tigers and bears, we've allowed ourselves to become fearful of the stuff we create and fill out in our doubt, insecurity, and obsession with how others may see us. That's the kind of fear that can be crippling if we don't overcome it. It will affect our relationships at home, our performance at work, our ability to function, and our pursuit of a Jesus journey. God wants to be your light, your refuge, and your strength. Will you let him? Would you close your eyes? Maybe you're watching and you're thinking, well, Scott, I don't know God like that. I don't have a relationship with Jesus. I don't know the friendship of the Holy Spirit. The good news for you, friend, is that you can. That relationship and friendship, while priceless, is yours just for the asking. The Bible says that, if, that if, if you confess, if you say that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's it. No classes, no fees, no probationary period. Salvation is yours. And with that comes a relationship and friendship that make life worth living. And the light and the refuge and the strength that can help you overcome your fears. If that's you, would you repeat this prayer with me? Dear Jesus, I'm sorry, I'm a sinner. I believe you are Lord, I believe you died for me and God raised you from the dead. Come into my life, overcome my fears, be my strength, be my Lord, be my savior in your holy name, amen. That's it, if you prayed that prayer and meant it with all of your heart, God has forgiven you your sins and you are born again in his spirit. All of heaven is rejoicing, and we're excited to take this journey of faith with you. If you could let us know about your encounter with Jesus today by logging on to jesus.lifechurchgb.com, share your information with us, and we'll follow up with you. Now, maybe you're watching and you're already a Jesus guy or Jesus girl, but you're struggling with fear. If that's you, I'd like to pray with you right now. Jesus, I pray for my friends who are struggling with fear in their lives right now. I pray that you make your presence known to them. God, I ask that you build a muddy fortress around their hearts and their spirits, Father. Be their light, God. We know that your light is the one that is so brilliant, so magnificent, that not one shadow of doubt could hide from it. We know that your stronghold is one that is so indestructible, not one attack on our faith or in our hope could penetrate it. Fill my friends with courage, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, friends. Hey, thanks for joining us this week. Did you know we have discussion questions for each message? You can download them and talk it over with your friends and family. Go to LifeChurchGreenBay.com to download today.